All right, so this is part three of a new series we've started called Love and Hate. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we started by just kind of taking a Sunday and sort of defining love. And instead of getting really technical about it and looking up all the different words and what they mean, we just took a look at God's love through the story of the prodigal son. And we really even talked about, I think I talked about during the message, that I, I really prefer to call that story the story of the loving father. Um, because it's about a father who has two sons that are equally lost in different ways. And in the midst of their lostness, he loved them um, lavishly. He loved them with everything he had. That word prodigal that we use to describe the prodigal son, um, he wasted his life in prodigal living. It kind of means reckless or careless. And if you think about it, the father in the story really operated with that reckless love. He gave all that he had to his two boys, um, watched his younger son squander it, watched his elder son not appreciate or enjoy it, um, and yet loved each of them dearly, received his younger son back home, ran to him, embraced him, and pleaded with his elder son um, to come and celebrate and join the party that the father was throwing for the younger son. So that was a picture of God's incredible love towards us. Um, then last week we talked about hate and, and defined what hate is, um, and we talked about what God hates and how he hates it. And really, the way that God hates is through love. It's out of his love for us that he hates certain things that, that cause damage, that destroy his kids that he loves. And so he, he abhors evil because evil destroys. We talked about that last week. We talked about how he hates hypocrisy um, because it presents a false picture and ultimately, the, the person living that way is, is dead inside and missing out. And often those who are hypocrites don't even realize their own hypocrisy. They begin to believe their own lies. And then they're giving an inaccurate picture to others who are in need. And then finally, um, he hates when light is misrepresented as dark and when dark is represented as light. Because it keeps people from the truth and from walking in real healing and real freedom. He wants things to be clearly seen and clearly defined. And so that's what he hates. What he doesn't hate is people. Yeah. And as, as we begin to unpack what it looks like for us um, to love the things God loves and hate the things God, God hates, we realize what he's calling us to is to look in the mirror and abhor our sin. Not ourselves. He loves us. But the sin that destroys and damages and eats us up, he calls us to abhor that sin to be honest with ourselves about where we are and seek him for healing and for help. And then very quickly he tells us, don't walk in wrath and anger amongst each other. So he makes it really clear. There's specific things you should hate and it's not each other. So those were just some, some areas that we covered. The bottom line is, is we're kind of laying this foundation for where we're gonna go in this series. We're gonna get more specific about personal areas in our life that God may want us to grow in sin he may want us to deal with. We will look at areas within the church. It could be something we might experience here in our body or, or things that we see larger in the church community because um, this isn't, church isn't just this. We're a part of a larger church. We're a part of God's kingdom. Um, he has a church all over Knoxville and we're a piece of it. And so we're a part of that. How do we walk in unity? What are those sins that entangle us in church life? And then finally, how do we love the community around us? How do we live in this culture um, presenting a clear case of what's right and wrong and inviting people into something? 
into new life, into freedom, into forgiveness. So that's where we're heading. And so as we lay this foundation, it's important that we have a clear picture ourselves of who God is and of what love and hate are so we can operate in this world. If we're not careful and what the church has done pretty poorly, um, the church gives an inaccurate picture. Sometimes the church is painting God as, as more angry and judgmental than he is, um, and yet at other times we're terrified or even embarrassed to speak the truth, um, almost apologizing for God or apologizing for, for things that God calls wrong um, out of a sense of love when it's not, it's not love. Um, love is speaking the truth in love. And so we don't want to misrepresent what God's love is um, because it will cause damage in our own hearts. Like if I don't really understand how God wants to operate in my life, it'll do damage in my life. It will affect my family, my church, my community. So that's where we're heading. So this morning we're going to start um, what's going to be a little two-week kind of mini-series on correcting love, correcting love. God's love that corrects us is where we're heading. So our primary passage is found in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there in your own Bible, you can. We'll have the scriptures up on the screen behind me. And so we're going to just jump right into this. You guys ready to go this morning? Yeah. Kids, y'all ready? Yeah. Are you ready to color or something? All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, And you have forgotten... The exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And just as a quick parenthetical, we could read this children or sons and daughters. We, we are his kids. I think it's important to note um, all of the scriptures we're going to look at together this morning are primarily written to God's people, to his family, folks who have already said yes to Jesus. Um, it's, very, it's very easy to read through the New Testament and see scriptures that are talking about repenting um, that are talking about turning to God, confessing our sins, being forgiven, and to read those through the lens of someone who's lost that doesn't know Jesus. It's very accurate. It's very applicable. There are many scriptures about the need for the lost to be found, um, for sinners to be saved. But a lot of what we're going to look at together this morning are scriptures that were written to the church about God wanting to correct things within the family of God. And so he's exhorting them, listen, there's some things you've forgotten, he says. As kids, as people living in God's house, living in his family, you've forgotten something. And so he says, let me remind you of this because this is an old truth. This is an ancient truth. And he begins to quote from the book of Proverbs. He says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord chastens or loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7 If you are enduring chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now he's establishing a really important principle here, and it's this idea that. God correcting us, God disciplining us, God showing us things that need to change is an aspect of his love. And he warns us, he says, listen, it's really possible to forget this and it's really possible to even beat yourself up along the way. He says it's easy, first of all, to despise it when you're being corrected. Now that word despise doesn't just mean hate it, it actually means careless, careless. 
It means you blow it off. You pay little attention to it. You consider it of small worth when you're corrected. I wonder how often we do that in our lives. When, when a light is being shined on something that needs to change or adjust in us, how easy it is for us to just kind of, oh, that's not that big a deal. We all, we all make mistakes. Yeah, I, I know that was kind of bad, but and we just we minimize it. Secondly, um, he encouraged us not to be discouraged, discouraged by it. We are so prone to this. When, so often in my life, I mean, I know, I, I know the scriptures, I know the verses that tell me I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm a child of the King. I know the verses that say there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I know those. And yet so often in my life, when, when God's shining a light on something that is wrong, instead of hearing it and going, oh man, thank you God for revealing that, I want to deal with it, I get into that woe is me, here I am blowing it again, and I get beat down and discouraged, and I start viewing myself through that lens of like, how have I not figured this out by now? And I begin hearing that voice that just, just beats me up, my own voice, and it's not his voice, saying, hey, I don't correct you to discourage you, I correct you to help you, I love you. And then often, if we're not careful, what discouragement turns into is the third thing, and that is feeling rejected flat out rejected by correction. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this in, in your own life or if you've experienced it with others. Um, this was something I noticed a lot in my years of youth ministry where we would be on a trip or we'd be at an event and there was a student, a high school kid that I needed to talk to about something and correct an issue that was going on. And just even sitting down and having a conversation, I mean, the mindset was like, Man, well, why am I getting in so much trouble and why am I? And I'm thinking, you're not even in trouble. Like you didn't lose any privileges. You, I'm literally just having a conversation with you. And I mean, I, I can remember having these moments where, where the young, young man or young woman I'm talking to is, is feeling rejected. Like I'm done with them or something. Listen, that's the opposite of what you do. If you're done with somebody, you don't even bother talking to them. The fact that God engages us on that level and talks to us about things in our lives that can change or grow and improve is because he cares for us. And yet there is a thing in our culture where we have lost the ability to hear correction and view it through the lens of that's a person who loves me and that's willing to be courageous and cares about me enough to say that thing. Now there's a wrong way to say stuff. Absolutely. But I think... We have become so sensitive that we just assume they're doing it the wrong way because I don't like what I'm hearing. That's our bent. Our bent is that person is out of line and they're being judgmental as opposed to maybe there's something here to consider. And more than me just hearing this person that's in my life, maybe there's actually an opportunity for me to talk to the Lord about this and go, God, is this just a random person kind of pointing something out and they're just being a jerk? Or God, is there, is there something more to this? And I guarantee you, if it's God highlighting it, it's going to come up. It's going to come up from a few different places, from a few different people. The Holy Spirit will do that work that he does in our heart where we kind of know, God, that's you. But it is so important that we disconnect correction and rejection. Correction is not rejection. Here's what our response should be when God's correcting us. These are the things I should feel. 
I should feel loved. Boy, that sounds weird. That's the truth. That's what this verse is teaching. I should feel loved when I'm corrected. I should feel received. I'm a part of something. When God's correcting me, he's reminding me, you fit into this family, and I want to teach you how to fit into this family well. I should feel loved. I should feel received. I should feel accepted as his son or daughter. I want to, I want to read the wording of this same quote going back to Proverbs. So the writer of Hebrews, I said, was quoting from Proverbs, and he's quoting from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. And I just, I love the specific wording there, so let's check this out. It says, My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Now watch these words here. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Man, isn't that the opposite of how we hear correction? I don't think that. When God's highlighting something in my life, I don't walk away going, man, God, you love me and really delight in me right now. I'm just feeling down and in the dumps and rejected. And it is the exact opposite of his heart towards me. And so my prayer, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit more in a minute, but my prayer is if you don't hear anything else this morning, that you would let that reality sink into your hearts, that God loves you enough that he would take time to correct you. And that it is a picture of his love, his acceptance, the fact that he cherishes you and that you're a part of his family. That's why he does that. You're his kid. So the next, the next two weeks, we're going to look at three reasons we need correction from God. This morning, we're just going to look at one of them. The three reasons are that it is necessary, that correction is beneficial, and that correction is valuable. It's necessary, it's beneficial, and it's valuable. This morning, let's talk about how it is necessary. So continuing on in Hebrews chapter 12, let's now look at verse 9. The very next verse. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Here's what he's saying. If there is a need for us to learn and receive and hear from our earthly fathers, like they've learned something from their experience on this planet. And, And even as fallen, broken human beings... There are specific things they need to guide us into to help us. How much more as humans do we need our heavenly father to come help and shape and correct us? See, this is a part of fitting into God's kingdom. We talked last week about being transferred from dark to light, how God moves us from the the kingdom of running my own life to him being on the throne of my life. Well, that implies that my old way of living wanted some changing. I was living in such a way that was destructive and damaging. And there's something wonderful that I've stepped into. I get a glimpse of Jesus and go, God, you're amazing. You're incredible. I want to belong to you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want to move into your family. That's great. And so we move into his kingdom. And now we need to learn how to live in that kingdom. We need to now to learn how to let him be king. And that does not come naturally. I get moved into that family. And then as I begin to walk with the Lord, I learn how to submit to him. I learn how to let him lead. See, it is actually dangerous to step into his kingdom, accept him as savior and not recognize him as Lord, the person who's in charge. 
He's inviting me into something. Now, Jesus warned us about this. We could read through all of um, chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation as he wrote this letter to the local churches. Um, But we're going to look at one specific portion written to the church at Laodicea. Now, this is the same church that got, got the really encouraging verse written to them about how they were lukewarm. Anybody familiar with that passage? What's God say what he's going to do to them because they're lukewarm? Spit them out. In fact, the word there is even a little stronger. It's more like vomit. So th- that's that, that group of people. But now remembering the lens we've been talking about, about God's encouragement, even in that strong language, he loves them. And, and we, let's follow up. We're going to pick up right where that verse leaves off about God saying, I would spit you out of my mouth because you're just kind of wishy-washy in the middle, lukewarm. And this is what he invites them into. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, does that sound like something God hates? Remember that last week? Hypocrisy? Not having a clear picture of what's real? Because you say that, and you do not know that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, they've got this totally backwards. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And look what he says. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. There it is again. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He's writing this to the family of God and he's saying there are essential, necessary things about your life that you can't even see. You've got blinders up to them. In your mind, things are good. Life is good. You're doing well. And in reality, you're in trouble. And I have something wonderful, valuable to offer you. I've got gold for you if you're willing to hear it and to receive it. But the words, the picture that he's giving, that that idea of needing eye salve, what he's saying to them is you're blind. You're either blind to this or you're choosing to ignore it, one or the other. Y'all hear me quote from Timothy Keller all the time, love Tim Keller, and um, saw this quote from him recently. He said this, the sin that is killing you the most right now is the one you are most defensive about or just completely unaware of. See, we tend to, to, to know certain things that we're struggling with. And we, and we maybe are even honest with ourselves about them. We recognize them as a, as a battle, as, a, as something we're working through. And those might be the things that we're more apt to repent of, to seek help in. Very often, there's something in our life that, that we don't want to see or we don't want to hear what somebody has to say about it. We kind of ignore it. We've got blinders up to it. Or if we find ourselves getting really defensive, like have you ever had that experience where, you know, maybe a a wonderful, loving spouse in your life or a really close friend or a parent highlights something and your instinct is immediately to defend yourself? Yeah, it's just me, I guess, right? Yeah, just me. Um, That sense of defensiveness, that should actually be an indicator that, that that might be a particular issue in your life that has taken root. And we're resisting responding to God and being corrected. And this is what he was talking to the Laodiceans about. They let so much of that become a part of their life, they were blind to it. And in their mind, they were great. They were doing awesome. And God had to come and say, you have got this completely backwards. 
completely backwards. That's what happens when we don't open up ourselves to being corrected. So what do we do then? If it's necessary for us to receive correction, what do we do about this? Well, one of the things that we do, and and we're going to cover three of these as we go forward. The other two will be next week. One of the things that we do is we confess. We confess our sin. We name it. We verbalize it. There is a lot of power in confessing our sin. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We have a deep, innate, hardwired thing inside of us that desires to minimize our sin and to cover it up. Have you ever thought about this? Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what is the first thing Adam and Eve do? They take that bite of the fruit, their eyes are open, they realize what they've done, they realize they're exposed. It's interesting that Jesus is using that same idea of nakedness in the verse we just read in Revelation, and that was, that was the thing that Adam and Eve realized. It wasn't just about a physical thing. It was, God, we are fully exposed. And what was their reaction? I gotta cover up. I gotta do something to minimize this, to hide. And then to kind of act like everything's okay, right? God starts walking through the garden and he's like, Hey, Adam, where are you at? God wasn't confused, by the way, about where he was at, but he knew there was hiding going on. And yet the writer of Proverbs is saying, that's a trap. That desire to cover and to hide, it rips us off. And, and so the opposite of hiding is declaring. My wife and I just recently did a, um, did a little trip. Many of you are aware of that. We spent about a week or so in Italy um, celebrating our 15-year anniversary. And, you know, we just had this wonderful time. But we're there. It's like our second day or maybe our first full day. And we're in Venice. And it's rainy. And it's cool outside, like colder than we thought it would be. And Amy didn't have a coat. And if any of you know my wife, when it's warm outside, she's cold. So like when it's rainy and cool and the wind is blowing, she's miserable. I mean, she's just like, and so we're realizing like we need to get a coat. This is confession time, by the way, is where we're heading with this. We realize she needs a coat. And so, you know, it's our first day in Venice. We kind of want to explore. We're there with another couple friends of ours. And so we're kind of walking around and we're peeking in a couple little shops trying to find something. And we're maybe in like the second or third shop. And it's that thing where like as we're walking, yeah, you kind of are walking along and then you, you sort of go past the store and Amy just kind of her head's on a swivel. It's like, oh, I got to go back in there. And she just tucks back into a store. And so she's going into the store. I stop and say to our two friends that are with us, um, we, just, we just need to stop and get her a coat so she can get off this. Yeah. And she heard me say it. And I was in the doghouse for a while on that one. And I deserve to be. I let most of that day go without real repentance. And the reason is I didn't actually confess what I had done wrong. See, here here was my instinct. My instinct was to defend myself. I was thinking, I want you to have a coat. Let's just get it done. Let's get a coat. Let's resolve that. Then we can enjoy the day. But but I wasn't willing to be honest about the selfishness that was involved in that, the annoyance, you know, that she hadn't packed a coat. Like, there were all these other factors going on, but I wouldn't say any of that. 
And I gave her the half apology where I did the thing where I kind of minimized it. And it was like, I'm sorry, but like, it's not really what I meant. I was trying to explain myself. And you know how somebody can just read right through that false apology where you're not really apologizing? You know, you say, I'm sorry, and then you say how you really didn't do anything wrong. Well, if you just known my heart, my heart was, you know, I love you and I want you to have a coat, and it just came out wrong. Actually, the scripture says it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so it took me, I, I probably apologized two or three times, and I could just tell she was still mad at me. And then I started getting annoyed at her, like it's her fault. She won't get past it. She won't forgive me. And the truth was, at no point did I just stop and say specifically what I said was wrong, what, it, what I was saying about you, my attitude towards you, what I was saying to our friends, and like owned it. Like, this is the stuff. This is what I did. That's what's wrong. But that's where the power of change comes from. Being direct, being specific, because in that moment, you're being very honest about the real issue. God, this is the thing. This is what I have done. And you're dissolving the power of that sin to hold on to you. You're fighting against your very nature to cover and defend and pretend like it's not that big of a deal instead of letting it be exposed for what it is. And that's where the freedom comes. What does that verse say? Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. The very thing I long for is going to come by starting with opening my mouth and confessing. A really well-known verse to all of us found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There, there are two things that go hand in hand, but they are not the same thing, and that is confession and repentance. They work together. They're like, if I was a boxer, you know, they're the right and the left hand working together, but they are separate. And we've mashed them together and minimized both in the process. We've minimized what repentance is, and we've almost completely left out confession. It is rare in our culture, it is rare in church community for someone to be specific and confess the thing they did that they are sorry for. It is common to hear something along the lines of, I'm sorry. And if you really knew what I meant, you'd understand that that's not what I meant. And we, we move so quick into justification. And God says, hey, wait a minute. Do you want to justify yourself or do you want me to justify you? Because I will be faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness if you'll let me. There's power in confessing our sin. It holds the key to the cleansing and healing that we're longing for. I want to wrap up by looking at um, what James had to say about this issue in James chapter 4. We're going to read verses 6 through 10. After talking about some sins and some issues and some struggles that were going on, James writes and he says in verse 6, but he gives more grace. Can y'all do the cheesy pastor thing with me for just a second and just say more grace? More grace. More grace. I'm grateful for more grace. That means whatever I'm bringing to the table, there's more grace for that. I'm grateful for that. More grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Confession helps produce humility. You want to experience humility? Be willing to say the very real thing where you've blown it and you've done something wrong. It's, it's an outward expression of real humility. And it will help produce that in your life if you struggle with it. Practice confessing. Um, secondly, the act of confession is an act of submission. I'm, I'm putting myself in God's hands first and foremost. I'm submitting to him. But I'm also kind of putting myself in the other person's hands because I'm being real now. Like it gets vulnerable now. Like, Jerger, I did this to you, this specific thing, and I'm sorry about it. I'm, I'm, I'm literally putting my heart in your hands by getting that real and that honest with you. I'm submitting. I'm favoring even the other above myself. I'm, I'm humbling myself. I'm submitting. And then the third thing that comes with confession is it's an act of resistance. It's a part of fighting the battle. If my nature and what the enemy would love me to do is to cover up and stay prideful and hide, then by confessing, I am resisting the enemy. And then he's got to go. So it is actually an aggressive move to humble myself, and it defeats the work of the enemy. That's kind of what's required in confession. Here's what it does. It produces some really cool stuff. It draws me near to God. I love that picture. If, if I draw near to him, he will draw near to me. It's, it's, a, it's a two-way street, and he always meets me there. When I make the move towards him, he comes rushing in. He's right there. Notice what else it does. It cures sin and double-mindedness. You know that place where Paul talks about the thing I, I want to do, I don't do? And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And it just sounds like this back and forth wrestling match. You ever had one of those sins and struggles in your life that you just found yourself falling into that same pattern? One of the things that will help combat that is real, honest confession. When I'm calling it out for what it is, when I'm letting some other people in on that, when I'm declaring that openly to the Lord, it has a way of, of cutting through that kind of double-minded, wishy-washy thing. See, many of us stay trapped in sins because we're too embarrassed to tell somebody else I'm struggling with it and we can't figure out why we keep doing it anyway. Man, I've, I've repented, I've confessed, I've prayed and I'm still doing that same thing. Yeah, but really you've kept it very internal. But when I bring it into the light, when I invite a few people I can trust into that by confessing to them, when I get direct and honest and specific about it, now I can really see the power of God come in and move. You know, we talk about having accountability, but it's not just about the other person holding me accountable. It's, it's about getting it into the light. And there's freedom in the light. And then finally, confession lifts us up. I mean, I, I love that picture. God's kingdom is so opposite. The more we pay attention to the stuff Jesus taught, it's so backwards. It's so upside down. It's the people who lose that win. You give your life, you actually gain it. The people who seem like they're on the bottom, they're going to discover they're on the top. The first shall be last. I mean, there's all these principles that just seem the opposite, and this is one of them. If we will humble ourselves in God's sight, he lifts us up. See, the very thing that we're striving for, 
to be loved, to be accepted, to be considered okay, to, to be in right standing, like all those things that, that our pride is fighting for, we can never have when we're trying to grab hold of them for ourselves. But when we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, we find the true thing that we're longing for. Instead of settling for a false version, we find the true thing and he lifts us up. So my, my hope, my prayer is that we would be a people who could hear and receive God's correction in our lives and recognize it as a sign that we're in his family, that we're his kids that are loved and accepted and a part of his kingdom, and that we would see the power that comes from making the move to confess specifically, honestly, being real. And as we begin to unpack this next week, we're going to talk about why this is so beneficial and how repentance ties in. And also we're going to talk about how valuable it is and talk about the power of forgiveness. That's where we're heading next week. Um, so to kind of wrap this up, if you guys want to come on up and um, we're going to partake in communion together in just a moment. Um, I, want to, I want to pray. How do I want to do this actually? Let me, I want to read something from Matthew's Gospel about this. And I, I want to encourage us to stay kind of in the mentality of what we've been talking about this morning as we approach, um, as we approach the, the cup and the bread. Um, let me give you the practical first, and then I just want to share some thoughts with us as we prepare our hearts. Um, from a practical standpoint, uh, myself, Dad's going to come up, and we're each going to be up here with the elements. As you're ready during this next worship song, you can come forward, get the bread, get the cup, go back to your seats. You can partake individually with a family, however you want to do it. Um, and we'll just kind of take our time and worship through this next bit. And so when we make that available, y'all come on up. Um, so in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew writes and he talks about this, this night before Jesus was betrayed. And he says, as they were eating the meal, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And then he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That word remission, it means to cause to stand away. It's like in another place. It literally means to release one's sins from the sinner. I love the wording of that. It's not releasing me from the sin. It's releasing the sins from the sinner. I get to stand safe, secured, and loved, and my sin gets removed. That's what remission is. It requires a sacrifice as punishment of sin, and then therefore it puts away the sin, and there's deliverance of the sinner from the power of sin. All of that is wrapped up in that word remission. Removing the power of sin, removing it off of my life. I get to stand cleansed, forgiven, righteous, made whole because of the work of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for me. And so that's the position we find ourselves in this morning. So what I would do to encourage you to prepare your hearts for this, um, if there's a known thing, if there's something you're just aware of that God's highlighting that you need to confess and make right with him, do that. There's more grace. His mercy is available. When we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So take a minute, get your heart right with the Lord and know you can walk in peace from that moment on. He removes that sin. And then let's come and remember and celebrate Jesus and the finished work of the cross.
Let me pray for us and then y'all can come forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. God, it's strange to say it, but we thank you for your correcting love. God, I pray that we would hear um, not rejection, but acceptance. That we would hear a loving Father who longs to help us learn to live in this world that you've created. To love you well, to love others well. Jesus, as we approach the bread and the cup, we remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us. It's the very thing that has caused us to be forgiven and made whole. God, we thank you for the remission of our sins. God, we just come before you right now and we confess specifically things that we're struggling with, sins that we've committed, and God, we thank you that you will forgive us. Jesus, we stand in awe of your great love and sacrifice, and we remember you this morning. Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.